pray, let them have a moment of special music here, and then we'll get to the preaching. Exodus chapter number 3, if you're there. This morning we'll begin reading in chapter 3 and chapter number 4. Good to see you here today on the Lord's Day. It's always good to be in God's house. Look forward to what God wants to do today. So let's just relax, open up our heart to receive what God would have for us today. Exodus chapter 3, you know this passage very well. The Bible tells us this is the calling of Moses to become the deliverer of Israel. In Exodus chapter number 3, we're going to pick up in verse number 1. The Bible says, now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire at the midst of a bush and looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. Moses says, I will turn aside and see this great sight while the bush is not burned. Now for the sake of time, we'll skip over. And if you'll look to verse number, uh, verse number nine, God says to Moses, now therefore behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. And I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Let's pray, and we'll have our special this morning. Father, I do thank you, Lord, for your word, and we pray your blessings upon it this morning. Lord, we know the power is in your word, and we pray that, Father, as it goes forth today, it will accomplish all that you sent it to do. I pray for every heart that is here. You knew they would be here today. You've prepared something for them, and I pray the saved would be drawn closer, and I pray the lost would be saved. Bless this special now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And it is good to see you here this morning, and let me say it's good to be back. I was out Wednesday night. A couple of reasons, actually. My, uh, my voice has been going out a little bit. We were preaching a funeral in Louisiana and then got stuck in traffic and weren't able to make it back. And I appreciate really John Matthews filling in on such late notice. Uh, I've had to do that a few times for my dad and I've had to do it for a few other preachers. And it's frightening when you get that call uh, Wednesday mid-afternoon asking, can you preach? And I appreciate him doing that. And it's good to have Brother Brent back, isn't it? I tell you, I, I, I was getting lonely up here on the platform over on this side and my wife was asking me uh, this week, she says, you know, you seem kind of down, you seem kind of sad, and I trying to figure out what was wrong, and I think I was just missing Brother Brent, I really do, and uh, I was not going to let anybody sit in his chair while he was gone. I told him we flew the missing man formation with his chair this week. We didn't let anybody sit in his chair, but we're glad that they uh, had a good vacation, but we're glad to have them back. It's always good when all of God's people can be together in his house, and Kind of like a family member. And the Bible says we're part of that family of God. And it's good to have all of the family together. And if you're visiting this morning, uh, we want to welcome you here. And want to welcome you to, to be a part of our family and the fellowship here and what God's doing at Central Baptist Church. As we read just a moment ago, probably one of my favorite accounts as the calling of God to Moses. And I was thinking in my office a few minutes ago how thankful I am that an almighty God is willing to call men. And how an almighty God is willing to use men in his service. And I'm glad that God is still calling people today. And I know that this morning throughout the service, I don't know many of you here today, but I know that throughout the service, God will stir your heart and God will call out. And my prayers this morning that we, as we read in Moses' case, that we'd be willing to answer. I was thinking this morning that we've probably all heard the Chinese proverb that a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And I think we probably agree with that. It's a very simple uh, quote and a very simple statement, but it's a very true statement. It really stresses the importance of all the the plans and the ideas that you can have about taking a trip and going on a, a vacation. It all begins with that first step in the right direction. 
But as important as that first step is this morning, I believe equally as important is that that first step is headed in the right direction. You know, a journey of a thousand miles does begin with a single step, but you better make sure that those first steps of that thousand miles are pointed in the right direction. I sat in the office yesterday and I did a little bit of geography and I was noticing that if you were to point your toes northeast, now I'm not exactly sure, I'm going to guess, this way is northeast, we close enough, okay? If you were to point your toes northeast and begin walking and take those early steps northeast after about a thousand miles, you would end up in Washington, D.C., That'd be a long trip and a lot of hitchhiking to get there, but after a thousand miles, you'd make it to Washington, D.C. If you were to point your toes southwest and take those early steps and begin walking, you would end up somewhere near Monterey, Mexico. If you were to point your toes southeast and walk for a thousand miles, you would end up in Key West, Florida. Now, that's a little bit more exciting than Washington, D.C. and Monterey, Mexico, is it not? So this morning, we see the importance of those very first steps and as somebody said years ago, and I tried to find the, the origin of the statement, the first step is a doozy, the first steps are very important. Because those first steps of a journey are going to decide the ultimate destination that you end up. If you point your toes southeast, you're going to end up in Key West. If you point them northeast, you'll end up in Washington, D.C. And if you point them southwest, you'll end up in Monterey, Mexico. So it's important that when we take those first steps, we make sure that those early decisions are going to lead us to the destination that we want to end up getting to. I remember my dad telling me right after I got married, I'm glad to have him here with us this morning. My dad says, son, he says, the early decisions in your marriage, and I believe it was six weeks, I'm not mistaken. I think he says the first six weeks of your marriage, you will establish a lot of precedences that you will live out the next 60 years of your marriage. And oh, how we found that to be true, and my wife and I tried to get along those first six weeks that way that the rest of it was nice and rosy, but how true it was that those early decisions we made in our marriage, those early uh, precedents that we set in our home are some precedences that we are still living by today, and much of where God has brought us in our home really got started in those early days of making sure those first steps were in the right direction. We could put it this way, early decisions lead to eventual destinations. Early decisions will lead to eventual destinations. I was reading a book the other day, it's a, a Wild West book, and I read a story about a man by the name of Wild Bill Longley. I believe we have a picture up here, up here we're going to show to you right quick. Wild Bill Longley was an outlaw and would be hung at the age of 27. Wild Bill Longley, they asked him how he had gotten to this place in his life, and he says, my first step was disobedience. These are his quote. Next was whiskey drinking. Next was carrying pistols. Next gambling and then murder. And I suppose next will be the gallows. And at 27 years old, Wild Bill Longley would be hung from the gallows. But notice it goes back. The very first statement that he made, he says the first step was disobedience. You see, the importance of those early decisions in the life of Wild Bill Longley led to an eventual destination, which was the gallows. Now, folks, I believe this morning, so often in the lives of Christians, we do not really pay attention to the steps of our destination until we get there. But when you get to the gallows, it's too late to decide whether or not those steps were the right ones or not. We've got to begin making the decisions about those early steps before we get to the eventual destination or we may just end up somewhere we don't want to go. On the other hand, we see people like Daniel. 
We see Daniel reaching a destination where his life was a tremendous witness for God. Daniel would go on to be someone who was used of God to influence the known world at the time because of his witness and the stand that he took. Now, I assure you, it wasn't the lion's den that Daniel decided he was going to start depending upon God. Daniel chapter 1 and verse number 8, the Bible says that it was at that place, chapter 1, notice it, chapter 1, the early steps and the early decisions, the Bible says that Daniel purposed in his heart. Daniel made an early decision that led to an eventual destination of his life becoming a witness for the cause of Christ. Now, folks, if we're going to get to the place one day where God uses us as a Daniel or as a David or as a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we've got to begin making early decisions that are going to lead us to a destination where our life is the witness that God wants to use. We see here in the life of Moses, I was reading this this week, and this is not what I thought I'd be preaching today, to be honest with you. The Lord kind of changed this up on us yesterday. We know Moses as the great deliverer. We know Moses as the great hero that we learned about from our early days in Sunday school. Moses was the one who was used of God to lead the children of Israel through the Red Sea. And and Moses was the one that was there when the man of God came down from heaven and the water came from the rock and and, and all the many conquests of the children of Israel. We know that, that Moses. But the question is this morning, do we know how Moses got to that destination to be used by God? I believe in Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4, we can see the early decisions that led Moses to the eventual destination. I believe we'll see in chapter 3 and chapter 4, three decisions that determined his direction. This morning, I believe those same three decisions are three we're going to have to make. In just a few minutes, ever how long the Lord will allow us to preach and how long our voice will hold out, you'll have an opportunity during the invitation to make a decision. And I assure you the decisions you're going to make today will contribute to your eventual destination. If you're here this morning and you're lost and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, I assure you the decision you'll make to accept or reject Christ this morning, I promise you, will contribute to your eventual destination, which could be heaven or hell. You're here this morning and you're saved and you know that your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. There is a will of God for your life. There's something that God's calling you to do. And whether or not you end up in that eventual destination of fulfilling the will of God in your life will be all decided by the decisions you make and today will contribute to that. So we're going to look at three decisions this morning that will determine our destination. And it's important. It's important this morning to figure out where you're at. So if you will, look up uh, chapter 3 again. The Bible says in verse number 10 of chapter 3, the Bible says that God's going to call Moses in verse number 10. But before he calls Moses, he gives him an idea of where the destination he's leading to is in verse number 8. He says, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them up out of that land, that's an improvement in itself. But notice this, God did not stop by bringing them out of Egypt. The Bible says, I'm going to take them out of this and bring them unto a good land. And a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. So we notice that in verse 8, God gives Moses a heads up on the destination. Aren't you glad? God begins to describe to him the eventual destination that he wants to lead him to. And it's, oh, it's a great place. A land flowing with milk and honey. Now, as I said, getting out of Egypt was boldness. 
And on top of that, God says, I want to lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey. If I was Moses, I would have been excited right there. All of a sudden, something catches the ear of Moses in verse 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, this is important to notice. I believe if you had one of those Fitbits, anybody got those Fitbits this morning, you know, and how much calories you burn? My wife told me she burns a lot of calories playing the piano. That Fitbit's just to get it, you know. She said, I walked 10 miles today. I said, no, you didn't. I was with you all day long. She just says, you know, I just playing the piano. That Fitbit works her out. I believe if Moses had one of those Fitbits on, verse number 8, his heart, man, was pumping. He was excited. Man, the land flowing with milk and honey. We're going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Man, this is an exciting place. And all of a sudden you get to verse 10. And he says, Egypt. I'm imagining at that place in verse number 10, Moses' heart fell. You say, why? Well, if you look at chapter 2, verse 15, just a few verses back. The Bible tells us that Moses had killed an Egyptian. In verse 15, when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the place of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. He sat down by a well. You see, for the last 40 years of the life of Moses, he had avoided Egypt. For the last 40 years of the life of Moses, he tried to put distance between him and Egypt. And now God is calling Moses to go back to the place that he's been avoiding. Now, in order for Abraham to, or for Moses to possess the promise, the first thing he would have to decide is to return to his past. Before Moses can proceed with the will of God, before the land flowing with milk and honey, before all of the great mighty things that God wants to do through the life of Moses, Moses must make the decision to return to his past. Now, the journey forward for Moses began by going backwards. I believe this morning that for many of us, in order to move forward in the will of God for our life, we first must go backward. Maybe to something we've been avoiding for a long time. You know, we could preach about the power of God, and boy, God showed Moses his power. God showed Moses, boy, I can work miracles, and I can do things that are beyond imagination. Moses was excited about the power of God. And Moses was excited about the promises of God. And then God had to bring up Egypt. You see, there was this incident that took place there in chapter 2 that Moses had been trying to avoid. When Moses left Egypt, he went over 200 miles away from Egypt, trying to put some distance between him and that incident back there in Egypt. But I'll tell you, 200 miles, he could not outrun it. 40 years, he could not outweigh it. And that incident was just as real on this day as it was 40 years earlier. And here's what I need you to see this morning. At this pivotal moment in the life of Moses, his past is threatening his future. Please see that. His past is threatening his future. I believe, I'll give you my opinion real quick. I don't do that behind the pulpit a lot, but I want to give you my opinion. I believe that genuinely Moses had reservations. Him and God deliberate back and forth in chapter number three. But I want to tell you my opinion this morning. I believe at the root of Moses' hesitancy, to go and do the will of God, it was that incident back in Egypt. You say, well, why do you think that? Because after Moses agreed to go in chapter 4 and verse 18, God brings up something in verse 19 Moses never mentioned. 
The Lord said unto Moses and Midian, Go return in Egypt, into Egypt, for all the men are dead which sought thy life. I believe verse 19 in chapter 4, it gives us a glimpse into something that God could see that Moses wasn't talking about. I believe the reason that Moses was hesitant, and yes, he was worried about his speech, and yes, he was worried if they would believe him or not, but I believe at the root of Moses' hesitancy to go into Egypt was that incident that took place many years back. That's why he left Egypt in the first place. Now fast forward to our lives today. The same God has promises for us, aren't you glad? You read this book and he has promise after promise after promise for his children and God promises us not a promised land but there's a promised life that his children get to live today. I'm so excited about it. Man, as a matter of fact, few people are claiming these promises so hey, if you don't want yours, I'll take them. I love the promises of God. And we read in this book that God has power available for his children. He told Moses, I have promises, I have power. But there was that incident in Egypt that was causing him to be hesitant. I believe this morning, if we would dig down deep in our hearts, oftentimes we will find that an unresolved past is leading to an unrealized promises of God. There are things that we harbor behind us that must be dealt with in order for us to move forward in the will of God for our life. You see, that's the root of so much that keeps us from the promises and the power of God is there's unresolved things behind us. Years ago, a gentleman called my dad and asked my dad if I wanted to earn some money. And uh, my dad said, yeah, he wants to earn some money. And uh, so I went and got this job with this man, Brother Neville. You remember that? He lived between Carson and Prentice. And uh, he says, I've got some weeds that need pulling. Well, you know, that's something I'm smart enough to do. I can pull weeds. And uh, no, I'm not coming to your garden this week. Okay, don't hit me up after the service. Not going to do it. No, I would if you need some help. I'd be glad to. But uh, we went out there and he, he, he told me to stand on the bush hog of his tractor. It was not spinning. And he drove me out into this field. And he says, hop off. And I hopped off and looked around. He says, you see these little plants? I said, yes, there was about 40 acres worth of them. He says, those weeds need to be gotten out of here. And I says, well, why don't, I'm just thinking to myself, you know, why don't you just crank this bush hog and ride and just mow them all down? If I'm not mistaken, he says, the name of the weed was called coffee weed. I believe they had soybeans planted there years ago. And he says, after soybeans, a lot of times coffee weed comes up. And he says, you can't mow it down. The only way that you can get rid of coffee weed is to pull it up by the root. And my brain began to thinking, you got 40 acres of this stuff. And it's got to be pulled up by hand. He just hops on his tractor and drives off and leaves me out there in the middle of the field. Now, he paid me well. He paid me $60 for a teenager. That was a lot of money back then, a lot of money today. And I just sat there pulling root, uh, weed after weed after weed. I wanted to just run them over with the bush hog. But he says the only way to get rid of this so we can plant what we need here is to pull it up by the root. Well, folks, I believe this morning we keep trying to mow down our problems and gloss over our problems of our past, those incidences back in Egypt. And God says the only way you can move forward is to first go back and deal with those things that are the root of the problem. I had a lady come to our office uh, a couple years ago, and she's sitting there, and a very kind lady, an older lady, at least she was in her, in her 80s, and she says to me, she says, I just don't have any peace in my life. And I, I called her by name, and I says, well, let's first make sure you're saved. Went through the plan of salvation. Yep, know that I'm saved. And she could tell me when she got saved. She said, but I just don't have any peace. I don't have any joy. There's just something missing in my life. 
and I want to move on, and I want to participate in the will of God, and I want to be active in our church, but there's something missing in my life. And man, I'm scratching my head trying to figure out what is going on. And if we start it over, are you sure you're saved? Yeah. I said, all right, we've been scripturally baptized. No. She'd never been scripturally baptized. Been saved over 50 years. Never been scripturally baptized. The first step of obedience after you get saved. You see, she desired to move on with her life. I just want to move on and I want to have the power of God and I want to have the promises of God. And she wanted to move on to that promised life, but there was something behind her that was holding up moving forward. We baptized her. Oh boy, I was nervous. Boy, I was nervous. I, you know, she's kind of an introverted lady and kind of a quiet lady. And I said, Miss So-and-so, the, the first thing you got to do is get scripturally baptized. You can't gloss over that. You can't just mow over that. Look, that's the root of our problem here. She says, I'll gladly get baptized. After that, she went on to be faithful in our church and live for the Lord and had a smile on her face. Why? So before she could go forward, she had to go backwards. There's some unfinished business that were making her hesitant about the will of God for her life. Now, folks, look, there's a lot of us who want to move forward, but before you can move forward, you've got to move on from some things. And those things had to be addressed. Moses was hesitant because back there in Egypt, there was an incident that was holding him up. I believe we see this in the life of Jonah. Jonah thought, you know what? I, uh, I know what God says, but I'm going to move on and do my thing and go my direction. I'm just going to move forward with some of that unfinished obedience in my life. Jonah found you'll not go very far forward with unfinished obedience in your life. I think there's a lot of good folks here this morning and a lot of folks that could do a lot of things from God, but there's some things that God has already told you you've not been obedient to yet. Look, we can't move on and move forward to the promised life when there's unfinished business with God in our past that will always hang you up. I had a man years ago, my first pastorate. You ever meet some folks and they're just kind of cantankerous? You may be one of those folks. Smile, it's okay, okay? And I had this fellow at our church, he was just cantankerous, you know? And uh, I loved him, and he says he loved me, but man, it just didn't take much to set this guy off. Always had a bad attitude, he always looked grumpy. Kind of like Brother Kendricks used to say, he looked like a mule stepped in his face all the time. He just looked rough. I remember one day in my office, we were sitting there, and he was just, and I said, man, what is it? What is it? What's the matter, you know? Why can't we seem to get this thing going to where, you know, I can be anybody's friend. I grew up in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. I can be friends with anybody. I grew up on Sesame Street, and we're, we're, we're to be friends with everybody. Man, this guy was having trouble being friends with. That day in my office, he said, I'm going to tell you something that only my wife knows. I said, what is that? He says, years ago, God called me to do what you're doing. I never did it. Years ago, God had called him to preach, and he said no. In his whole life, he's been trying to move forward, trying to move forward, trying to move forward when there's something he had not moved on from. He had some unfinished and unresolved obedience in his life. Listen, folks, you cannot move forward to what God has next if you haven't been obedient to what God has now. Everybody wants what God has next, and I want the power, and I want the promise, and I want the promised life. God says there's this incident back here, and that's what's holding you up. Matthew chapter 5, I won't turn there for the sake of time, but you know the verse well. Let me read it for you. We have time, amen? We didn't come here to get out, did we? No, none of us came here to get out. We just came here to get what God wants for us. Matthew chapter 5, 
Listen to what, what Christ tells his new disciples in verse 24, verse 23. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee. So watch close. He says, if you're coming to serve God, you're bringing your gift to the altar, and your service to God, you remember that thy brother hath aught against thee. Verse 24, leave there thy gift before the altar. And go thy way, first be reconciled to thy brother. You know what that is? That's an unreconciled fellowship. See, not only will unresolved obedience hinder you from moving forward, but also unreconciled fellowship. It's interesting he uses the word reconciled. If you'll notice at the beginning of the word reconciled, there's two words, R-E. You know what R-E, that prefix stands for? Back. Back. Jesus is telling his disciples, he says, listen to me, you can't move forward until you first go back. There's some unresolved fellowship. There's some unresolved relationships in your past that are unresolved and you can't move forward till you first go back. These first steps are important. Can I tell you bitterness? Bitterness is the plague in the church today. People harboring bitterness against people who've done them wrong. And granted, you may have been a victim of that. But the longer you harbor bitterness in your heart, the longer you'll continue to be a victim. Because that bitterness is keeping you from moving forward. Christ tells his disciples, first go back before you go forward. I was reading last night about the story many of you know well. She was here in town a while back, I believe. About the courageous young lady by the name of Elizabeth Smart. Salt Lake City, Utah was kidnapped and assaulted for nine months away from her family. After she was rescued, Elizabeth Smart was having a conversation with her mother at the police station. And her mother gave her some of the most wise advice that she says she's ever heard. Her mother says this, those people have rubbed nine months off of your life. Just erased it like it was never there. She says, in order to move on with joy, you've got to forgive them. Elizabeth Smart says, that day I decided that they had robbed me of nine months of my life. They were not going to rob me of any of my future. And so I forgave them so that I could move on. What did she realize? She realized in order to move forward, she first had to move back. A couple years ago, one of our new converts at our church and I didn't ask him permission to tell this story, but he probably won't mind. I talked to him this past week. He said uh, he got saved. And, you know, some folks, when they get saved, they just want to do what the Bible says. It's weird, I know, but there are people out there that are like that. They get saved, and they just want to do what God said. They don't start off with excuses. They just want to be obedient. God says do it. They just want to do it. This guy got saved, and one night I was preaching on being right with other people and how your vertical relationship with God cannot be right if your horizontal relationship with man is not right. And make sure you're right with man so you can be right with God. He calls me on a Sunday afternoon. Meet me at the office at 5 o'clock. I said, what for? He says, uh, I'm bringing a friend in to see you. I thought he was going to bring a lost friend in to see me. He brings this man in. They sit there on the couch and he says, uh, all right, we're here. I said, all right, Why? i got to preach in an hour, and you're in here. He says, well, he begins to tell me the story of how these two men were in business together. And this is no joke, and, I, and I'll be kind, but this is exactly what he says. He said, this is the dummy that messed up my business. I'm sitting there with myself thinking, oh, I'm fixing to referee a fight right here in my office. 
He said that we had a good thing going and all of this and that dummy. And I'm like, would you please quit saying dummy? Because <laughs> the other guy, he's kind of early. I thought he could take him. I thought he might be able to take him. And he says things were going good and then now that this dummy, and he just kept on and kept on and I'm thinking we're going to have to intervene right here in the office. And so about after 30 minutes, I got to get preached about 10 minutes. I said, why are you here? He said, you said I'm not right with God if I'm not right with man. I said, that's right. He says, I need to be right with him. I said, <clears throat> back it up. Wait a minute, what? He says, I need to do what I need to do to be right with him. I said, come again? You came here today, my office, because you were burdened about being right with God, so you brought somebody that you're still calling a dummy to the office? Yeah, I want to be right with him. I said, do you forgive him? He said, absolutely, I want to be right with God. I said, do you forgive him? Yeah, absolutely. Man, we just had a love fest right there in the office. Give him a big old hug and grown men, you know, just shaking hands and hugging up. What happened? He realized in order to move forward, there was some unreconciled fellowship that was behind him that he needed to take care of. Folks, before I move on to the second thing this morning, maybe this morning you need to return to your past Maybe there's some unfinished obedience. Maybe there's some unreconciled relationships or perhaps, I know this may be hard for you to believe this morning, but perhaps in a Baptist church in America, there may be some unconfessed sin. There may be. Proverbs 28, 13 tells us this, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. Now, folks, let's not look this morning and act like we never have unconfessed sin in our life. Because every one of us get to a place in our life where we transgress the word of God and the will of God, whether by commission or omission. We have sin in our life, and the Bible says in Proverbs that he that covereth it, he said, I'm going to bury it with 200 miles. Moses could not bury what was in his past. I'm going to outlast it 40 years. Surely it'll go away in 40 years. No. Can I tell you, sin has a long shelf life. Kind of like beef jerky, it lingers for a long time. I believe the reason the church is unable to move forward in America today is because of unconfessed sin. The world laughs at sin and the world mocks at sin and sin's not that big of a deal to people anymore. I mean, we just kind of fudge on the lines a little bit. But I assure you this morning, God takes sin just as serious today as he did when he wrote this book. It's just as serious today, but we've taken a dim view at sin. And we harbor sin in our life and we're trying to move forward and we're trying to reach America and we're trying to build our homes and we're trying to lead our friends to Christ, but we're unable to move forward because there's sin we haven't moved on from. If I cover sin, I will not prosper. I love reading behind great men of God who was used of God. And I was reading about R.A. Torrey a while back. And R.A. Torrey gives three simple outlines in order for any people in any city to have revival. The first thing that he mentions on his list to have revival. When he mentioned three things, I want to know what they were. The first thing is that a few people, it need not be many, get thoroughly right with God. You wonder why you can't move forward this morning. I wonder if there's not some unconfessed sin harboring back there behind you. I wonder this morning if there's not an incident back there in Egypt and the Holy Spirit of God, by the way, knows it and he'll let you know that maybe there's something you've been trying to move forward from but you can't move on from. Why? Because it's unconfessed. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. 
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants every one of us this morning to be able to move forward in the walk and the will of God, but we can't move forward with unconfessed sin in our life. Before Moses could move forward, he had to return to his past. The first decision this morning, and I'll hurry, was a decision that he was going to return to his past, a place where he had unfinished business. Now real quickly, look at chapter 4. Look at chapter 4. Forgive my raspy throat. I apologize. I promise I haven't been smoking. It's that secondhand smoke for my wife is what it is. It's getting to me. (laughs) I'm picking. I'll pay for that one later. No. Notice the second thing before Moses could go. He had to decide to return to his past. The Bible says in verse 17 of chapter number 4, God finished deliberating with Moses, Thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. Verse 18, and Moses went. Moses decided, okay, I'm going to go, but notice there's something he had to do before he could go, and he returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said unto him, watch these next three words, let me go. Let me go, I pray thee, and return unto my brethren, which are in Egypt. You see, God was calling Moses to be the deliverer. God was calling Moses to travel over 200 miles back to the place that he had ran from in his past. And in order for Moses to become the great deliverer back in Egypt, he was going to have to resign his shepherd's job in Midian. So number one, the decision he had to make was to return to his past. Number two, the decision that he had to make was to sever ties in the present. He had to go to his father-in-law and tell his father-in-law, I can't do this anymore. I cannot continue on this path because God is calling me to another past. You see, this morning for a child of God, the promised life will cost you your present life. The promised life that God is calling to you in the future will cost you the life that you're living now. The second decision that will determine your direction is, are you willing to sever some ties here in the present? Simple geography would show us that Moses could not do both. You know, they didn't have high-speed rail back then. They may have had some high-speed camels, but they didn't have any high-speed rail. Moses couldn't commute back and forth from the shepherd's job to the deliverer's job. Hey, you guys hold up right quick. I got to run back to Egypt. And then, hey, Pharaoh, hang on just a minute. I got to run back over here to me. Couldn't do it. He had to sever ties in the present. At least what Hebrews chapter 11 is telling us about. The Bible says that Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. There was a place in Moses' life where he had to decide to sever ties. I cannot continue on with the will of God in my current situation. And in order for me to move on, I must sever ties. Folks, as a lot of us, we keep trying to move forward and trying to move forward, but something's pulling us back because we've got ties to sever in our present. That's why Hebrews 12 tells us to lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us. Lay down what's holding you back in the present. Several years ago, I got to go uh, flying. I went to the airport, and my brother was working on an airplane. That's what he does, and uh, he had just finished fixing this plane. He says, why don't you go up and fly with him? Like, well, you just fixed it. You know, I'd rather him go up and try it out and bring me down and then come down and take me back up and make sure it's, no, it'll be fine. And so I go up on a flight and we've had a picture of it. We'll show you this morning. Uh, There's me in that uh, that airplane up there. I want you to notice the relationship of the ground uh, to where we're at. At that moment, we are upside down up there in the cockpit. And uh, I kind of enjoyed it, got really close to the Lord while I was there. 
uh, spent a lot of time in prayer. And I was going to show you the video, but for the sake of time, I won't show you the video. But uh, it was a wild ride. But when we got in the plane, uh, my brother's father-in-law, which was the pilot, he comes to me and he, he tells me four basic things. He says, canopy, cord, belt, behind. I says, come again? Canopy, cord, belt, behind. I says, what is that? He says, if we get up there and something goes wrong, I was like, it's not going to go wrong, is it? You know, he says, but you never know. He says, we have to jump out of this plane. He says, we blow the canopy. You un- unplug the cord on your headset. Unbuckle your seatbelt and get your behind out of there. Okay? So canopy, cord, belt, behind. That was the four words that he, that he gave me. I'm not, look, I'm not kidding. The entire flight, I'm repeating to myself, canopy, cord, belt, behind, canopy, cord. I mean, for days I was repeating, canopy, cord, belt, behind. I says, well, I says, all right, look, can I just jump out of the plane? He says, well, you can try, but if you don't unplug that cord and you're going to jump, it'll snatch your head right back in the plane. He said, that's why you need to unplug so that you can jump free. He said, you can try all you want to jump out, but if you don't unbuckle that seatbelt, you're not going very far. Here's what he was basically telling me. In order to disembark, I needed to disconnect. He said, if you want to disembark this plane that obviously was having trouble at the time, you need to disconnect to get out of it. Now, folks, I believe there's a picture this morning of so many of us. We're desiring to disembark from where we are to go to the promised land, but we're unwilling to disconnect. There's some things we must sever ties with in this, in this life. Here's the problem. Our churches in America today, we suffer from separation anxiety. We suffer, I just mentioned that bad S word and I lost half of you. We do not like this thing of separation. That there are things that in order to move forward, we've got to move on from. By the way, we're going to preach on this either tonight or Wednesday night where the Lord allows us. There's some things that are not necessarily wrong that are not good for you. They're not expedient for you, as the Apostle Paul would say. Now, God's offering power and God's offering promises. God's offering a plan. God's offering a future this morning. But in order for you to move forward with that and, and claim that future, you've got to separate some things in your present. See, it happens so often in the lives of God's people. We, we cannot move forward because we're unwilling to separate fellowships. We're unwilling to separate habits. We're unwilling to separate from hobbies. We're unwilling to separate from desires and ambitions. And those things are the headsets and the seatbelts that are keeping you in a plane that's going down. Because we're unwilling to separate. I, uh, I think yesterday, was yesterday the 50th anniversary of the moon landing? Was that yesterday? I believe it was. They had a special donut at Krispy Kreme. Don't know if you got one, but I encourage you to go get one. It is tremendous. Uh, it really is. You need to pray twice before you eat it. It's that, it's that sweet. And I was uh, watching all these videos of the moon landing yesterday in, in space. And I was saying as a kid, mom and dad, we lived in Florida. And we'd watch the rockets go up from where we lived. The space shuttle go up. And we went down to uh, uh, the, the Cape Canaveral. And we got to see a lot of the things down there. And we watched a launch. And on that launch, when that giant shuttle begins to go up in the air, there are two small rockets hooked to the side of, of that engine. They're solid rocket boosters that are hooked to the side. Guys, did I get you a picture of that? Did both of you get you a picture of that? Not, there we go. Very good. Thank you very much. You see those two small white things there on the side? 
If you ever watched a launch, as that shuttle begins to go up in the air, and after it reaches a two-minute mark, those two small white rockets peel off to the side. It's called solid rocket booster separation. You see, you've gone as far as you can go with them, and now you've got to get rid of them in order to continue on to the destination. And so you'll hear the guys on the headset. It's kind of exciting to listen to that stuff, isn't it? You know, and they're going, yeah, here it goes. Solid rocket booster separation. And they get rid of them. Because once they've spent their fuel, they can't take you any further, and they're only going to slow you down. So they have to separate from them to keep going. Folks, there's a lot of us this morning, you're on a good trajectory for the cause of Christ, and you're making good steps for the cause of Christ in your life, but there's some things that are hindering you in this life, and you've gone as far as you can go. You've got to separate from them, and you know it, because those are the things that are keeping you from moving forward in the will of God for your life. Moses knew in verse 18, I I told you before, I love white spaces in the Bible between verse 17 and 18, there's a white space. Somewhere in there, Moses made a decision. He knew he had gone as far as he could go with Jethro. I can't keep going on with this job with Jethro. I love, look, Jethro wasn't a bad man. Nothing wrong with Jethro. It's just God is calling him on further. And I had to sever ties with him. Too often when we think of this word separation, we think of what we're having to leave. That's why separation scares us. What you think about in the life of Moses? Moses, you're going to have to leave Jethro. You're going to have to leave following these stinking sheep around the backside of the desert to go and be used of God to deliver the children of Israel. Moses, you're going to get to see the Red Sea part in half, manna from heaven, water coming out from a rock. You're going to see God whip up on all these little countries that are out there by his mighty power. See, when it comes to this thing of separation, don't think of what you're being separated from. You ought to be thinking about what you're separated for. God wasn't separating Moses from Jethro for something bad. He just had something better. Maybe this morning there's some relationships that need to be severed so that you can move forward. Maybe this morning there's hobbies or habits. Maybe there's sin this morning. You know, you got to separate from that. you got to sever ties with that. Why? Because God's calling you forward. David says this in Psalms 101, and I'll give you the last thing. I'll set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of those that turn aside. He says this, it shall not cling to me. It shall not cleave to me. David says, I I hate the work of those that turn aside. I got to make sure it's off of me. It's not going to cleave to me. Look, you better sever ties with things this morning or else you'll never find yourself reaching where God's calling you. The last thing I want you to notice, verse 17 of chapter 4, the last decision he had to make, the first decision was to return to his past. The second decision was to sever ties in his present. But notice verse 17 of chapter 4, God says, here's your rod, go. The first three words of verse 18 are very vital. And Moses went. The last decision this morning that needs to be made is simply that you're going to be obedient and accept a God-given future. You see, God's not going to invade your will today. God's not going to make you move forward. God's not going to make you enjoy the promised life. By the way, if you're here this morning and you're lost, God's not going to make you get saved. Ultimately, the third decision that has to be made is to accept the God-given future. 
Return to the past, sever ties in the present, and accept the God-given future. Can I tell you, your direction and your destination will ultimately be a reflection of the decisions that you make. The people that are in hell this morning, they're not there because God sent them there. They're there because they chose not to accept a God-given future. That's why he asked me the other day, how could a loving God send people to hell? I says, God's never sent anybody to hell. They chose to go there by not accepting a God-given future. I'll tell you this morning, as bad as that is, there's Christians this morning who've been offered the promised life. Look, I'm not saying everything's going to be roses. I'm not saying you're going to have problems and troubles and trials, but you can have peace and contentment and joy and victory and power, and you can enjoy the promises of God. God offers that to you, but ultimately you must accept it. 2019, personal responsibility is something that's gone out the window. All you have to have is somebody to blame. I blame my great-great-great-great-grandfather because he stumped his toe one day and he said a bad word. And that's why I'm a failure today. No. I want you to know God still believes in personal responsibility. And ultimately, where you end up, whether heaven or hell, is going to be because you accepted or rejected a God-given future. If you're here this morning and you're saved and you live a life of victory and peace and joy and contentment and enjoy the promises that God offers, it would be because you accepted a God-given future. Now in chapter 3, and I'll hurry, chapter 3 and chapter 4, God deliberates with Moses. They go back and forth. I love seeing that because I, I'm guilty of that. Oh, I've sat in a pew. I've sat in a chair. During the whole service, well, me and God are going back and forth. <laughs> The Bible finally says in verse 14 of chapter 4, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. God says, Moses, it's time to make a decision. Moses, I've made my case. Moses, I've presented it for you. Now you've got to decide, are you going to accept or reject the God-given future that I'm calling you to? This morning, I wonder where you're going to end up. I wonder. I wonder, number one, are you going to end up in heaven or hell? I wonder. You see, you're going to get to make a decision in just a moment that will decide those early steps of where you will end up. I wonder for Christians this morning, where are you going to end up? Are you going to end up being somebody that was used of God? Or are you going to be somebody's Moses that leads others to the promises of God? Or are you going to be someone who rejects it because you can't sever ties? Now here's the question, question number one. Are you willing to return to your past? Is there something behind you that is keeping you from moving forward? Is it unresolved obedience? Is there something you know God has made clear and you've yet to do it? Maybe, maybe it's unreconciled relationships. Are you harboring something in your heart? Is there bitterness in your heart this morning? Unforgiveness towards somebody that did you wrong? Somebody said once that bitterness is the poison that you drink hoping the other person dies. You need to get that reconciled. Look, it wouldn't hurt when you walk out of this room this morning, get on the telephone, call somebody and say, I need to be right with you so that I can be right with God. I need to move forward toward the promises of God so I've got to move on from this. I'm going to get it right or maybe it could be unconfessed sin in your past. Maybe there's something you need to sever ties with in your present. Or maybe this morning God's made his case. God's made it clear. And now it's up to you to decide, am I going to accept the God-given future? that he's prepared for me. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed.